do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12:2. This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Historians invariably mark October 31, 1517 as the start of the Protestant Reformation. That was the day when Martin Luther, an Augustinian monk and a professor of the New Testament at the New University of Wittenberg, nailed 95 theses against the sale of indulgences to the college church door. The theses, he said, were merely propositions for debate. Luther intended them to be a provocation for an academic discussion, but they provoked far, far more than that. Though there is little doubt that Luther's 95 theses proved to be the match that lit the Reformation fires, there can also be little doubt that the fodder for those flames had been accumulating for quite some time. Indeed, throughout the whole history of Western Christianity, there had been protesting dissent against papal authority and the doctrines of Roman Catholicism, sometimes orthodox, sometimes heterodox, from the North African Donatists of the 3rd and 4th centuries to the Alpine Valdensians of the 11th and 12th centuries, from the Albigensian Cathars of the 13th and 14th centuries to the Moravian Hussites of the 15th and 16th centuries, descent was an incessant undercurrent to the mainstream of the Catholic West. But a series of events coalesced in the first decades of the 16th century to bring that undercurrent bursting onto the surface. In 1452, Johann Gutenberg invented the movable type printing press, This revolutionary invention made mass production of books and pamphlets possible for the first time. So within days of the posting of Luther's 95 Theses, copies of vernacular translations were circulating throughout the German-speaking world. Within months, translations had been made into a host of European languages, including English. In 1516, the great Dutch scholastic humanist Desiderius Erasmus published an authoritative text of the Greek New Testament. This made it possible for translators to begin making the scriptures available in vernacular languages. Martin Luther used it in his German translation of 1522, William Tyndall used it in his English translation of 1526. In 1521, the Ottoman Sultan Suleiman began mobilizing his forces for a full-scale invasion of the West. His armies marched northward to Hungary, capturing Belgrade and Budapest. 
His armies controlled most of the eastern Mediterranean and successively invaded Cyprus, Rhodes, and Malta. He consolidated his rule across North Africa and across the coast of the Indian Ocean. Then, in 1529, he laid siege on Vienna. Eventually, he was turned back from the Austrian lowlands, but the long and protracted fight meant that the forces of the Holy Roman Emperor and the concerns of the Pope were deflected from the rising tide of Protestantism, and thus Luther and his successors were able to deepen their hold on whole swaths of the West. England's Tudor king, Henry VIII, was such a staunch defender of Catholicism and the papacy that in 1521 he was awarded the title of Defender of the Faith by Pope Leo X. But it would be only a few years later that his relationship with Rome would sour when, in a desperate attempt to produce a male heir, his requests for a divorce decree were repeatedly, humiliatingly, and pointedly rebuffed. The matter was complicated. His queen, Catherine of Aragon, was the daughter of Ferdinand of Aragon and Isabella of Castile. She was thus also the aunt of the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, who happened to be the chief patron of the Medici Pope Leo X, as well as his successor, Adrian VI. So while Thomas Cranmer, the Archbishop of Canterbury, declared Henry and Catherine's null and void in 1533, the Roman Catholic Church refused to acknowledge the legitimacy of Henry's subsequent marriage to Anne Boleyn. As a result, Henry had the Pope's name removed from the liturgy, and an act of supremacy was passed on November the 3rd, 1534, declaring Henry VIII as the supreme head of the Church of England. During Henry's lifetime, very few changes were made to the worship or the doctrine of the Church of England, but the schism was enough to presage even more radical changes that were yet to come. Following the enactment of the Act of Supremacy, Thomas Cromwell, the Lord Chancellor and successor to Cardinal Thomas Wolsey and Sir Thomas More, began what he called the dissolution. Essentially, it was a systematic disbanding and confiscation of all of the monasteries, priories, convents, abbeys, and friaries in England and in Wales. The intention was to seize the income of those monasteries for the crown, although as events unfolded, favored members of the landed classes, including Cromwell himself, took much of the plunder. Consequently, great areas were deprived of the full pomp and splendor of religious service, which could now only be found in the cathedral towns, but had formerly been present every few miles throughout the whole of the country. The result was that the public presence 
of Roman Catholicism declined precipitously throughout England and Wales. Notably, however, the dissolution of the monasteries did not reach Ireland, so it was able to retain its Catholic traditions. Likewise, Scotland escaped unscathed, at least for a time, since it still remained outside the jurisdiction of the crown in Westminster. In any case, the floodgates were now opened and cascading waves of both resistance and reformation would soon sweep across the whole of the British Isles. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and for additional resources, go to georgegrant.net.